Hello, Sac State students. My name is Robbie Pierce. I'm your podcast editor, and welcome to another episode of the State Hornet News Podcast. Today, I'm joined in the studio by... Hi, I'm McKenna. I'm an opinion writer. I'm Gavin Rock. I'm a staff writer. And who did we talk to yesterday? Um, we talked to political science professor Stanley Odin about his involvement in creating the Black Student Union at UC Davis and his time in the Black Panther Party. We also briefly discussed his time growing up in the naval town of San Diego during the 50s and 60s before the civil rights movement itself got underway. Yeah, and I remember that he, it's funny because we actually had a much longer list of questions prepared, but he just gave us so much you know, autobiographical material that we ended up running with that. So this episode's actually going to be split into two parts. And part one is going to be talking more about his childhood and uh, teenager dumb yeah. <laughs> early adulthood in San Diego. And then part two is going to be more about when he's at UC Davis and his experience with the Black Panthers. So without further ado, uh, let's kick it over to Gavin McKenna and Odins. So according to prior State Hornet reporting, your interest in politics started at a young age. Mm -hmm. Specifically, you said you discussed political affairs with your mother and brothers down in San Diego. And likewise, you said that the racism in San Diego was more subtle than in the South. Can you describe what the overtones of racism were in San Diego at that time? Well, San Diego um, is a community that um, it's a Navy town, bases there, and my father was in the Navy. So that's what you know, that's why we lived in San Diego. Also, San Diego, was, when I was growing up, was a segregated town in that um, black and Latino folks lived in one area of the city, the southeast San Diego area. Then other little pockets around San Diego, but there were certainly areas where black people could not live or did not live because of the deep restrictions and real estate practices that weren't blatant, there weren't, there weren't too many cross burnings to discourage black people from moving into white neighborhoods, but it did happen. The police were very uh, overpowering in the black community. They, uh, they patrolled very heavily. You just kind of took things for granted, you know, that things were just gonna be happening and, and that this was kind of how it is. Um, I was fortunate enough to live in an area in, in um, Southeast San Diego, uh, um, which bordered on a white community. So I spent a lot of my childhood playing baseball in um, a white, in an all-white area, where I was one of the only black kids on the team. It was interesting because I never felt direct discrimination. I never had anybody stopping me in, in the middle of white neighborhoods as I was riding my bike or walking, saying, what are you doing here? So it wasn't anything blatant like that going on in my life. And um, it was only, I, I guess, once I got older and um, became much more politically aware through the civil rights movement that I kind of felt like I was, you know, that, you know, something could happen if I was to um, uh, run up against the wrong cops or something like that. I remember one time I was walking to uh, to a grocery store where I worked at, and um, it was only a, a couple blocks away from my, my, my home, and I was stopped by the police. I was stopped by basically a squadron of police, and I was surrounded. And I was, what, what's going on, you know? Um, I'm going to work here. Well, you fit the description of a guy who robbed a store. And I was about 15 or 16, so I guess it was a 
black kid or a black person looked like me. And and I was telling them, hey, I'm just going to work here. And fortunately, they heard what I was saying, and I said, well, you know, just drive me to my parents' house and you talk to my father, who I just left. And they drove me to my father's house. He was, it was these four police cars or whatever, and my father looked out, you know, what did you do, you know, just walking to the store. And I said, Dad, can you explain to him that I was just leaving here to go work at the store up here? And he did, and, and they summarily said, okay. So, you know, you had incidents like that that happened. I remember as a kid, and this is something that came up in, in my life, was that I was hit by a car, by a white guy in a car. He was a hit and run. He hit me, and he just kept on going. I was walking across the intersection, and he rolled up and hit me. Kept on going. Now, you know, you, you could say that was racially motivated to some degree, the fact that he didn't stop to find out I was hurt or anything. Fortunately, I wasn't hurt that bad. But that happened to me. So those kind of things were part of the things that I experienced growing up. I remember being with a good friend of mine who was a white kid, and this is probably one of the times where I probably, I always look back and said I could have did more, I'm kind of ashamed of what I did, but a gang of black kids approached me and my friend, who was a white guy, he was a tall white guy, um, and and you know these guys were in a gang and the bully the head bully of the gang you know wanted to beat up this white kid and they basically said okay you leave now i could have stayed there and fought with the white guy but i knew he was going to get beat up and i knew if i was to stay there i was going to get beat up so i i basically cowardly left and he got beat up and um that was probably the last time i saw him because his parents took him out of the school um but that was the kind of environment that I grew up in um, in San Diego. Um, yeah, black gangs, um, you know, which weren't terrorizing except for that kind of situation, unless you got the bad side of them. Um, and I grew up with, uh, in, you know, uh, with Mexican, mixed American kids. Um, but so, so my childhood was very, uh, <clears throat> what can I say? A very multi-racial, uh, and um, and then I went to high school, San Diego High, which was um, an integrated high school, and I uh, was able to, and I was in um, AP classes. They would call me AP classes now, but it was college prep classes then, and so I was in classes mostly with white kids. Um, a few black kids were in these classes, but I I had a chance to really experience socializing with uh, with white kids who came from. Uh, from high-income backgrounds, uh, because part of the kids, white kids who came to my went to my high school, were living a lot of them living in a high, in a high-income area called Mission Hills. But I got to know them very well, and I I was very popular in high school. I I ended up in high school being elected to uh, to uh, to student-wide offices as president. 1965, when I was a senior. I was right at the, the peak of the Civil Rights Movement, formed a Human Relations Council at our high school. One of the things that we did, basketball coach, who had basically won the county high school championship, so he was a very well-known coach, but in gym, he was, um, he was asking all the students to, to, to salute a flag at, at the Naval Hospital that was right across the highway from our school. 
And some of the black kids and some of the students didn't want to do it, protesting the racism that they were seeing going on in the South, and they didn't do it. And so this coach suspended them. So we protested that as a human relations council, and we condemned that coach, and, and we basically got those students basically reinstated. So uh, that was something that I remember in high school. Uh, and um, I was pretty popular in high school, but I was pretty—I was also pretty much one of the only black students that that would basically cross over and be with white students and and do things with white students. So that you know that got me a little bit of grief with some. You know, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to leave us? Like, oh man, I'm trying to hang out with whoever I want to hang out with. What are you talking about? And you know, so sometimes you get grief for that. It all gave me a, a good understanding of race relations at that time, 1965, and then. I went on to uh, go to a community college at San Diego, which was right across the street from my high school. And I had to fight my way through that school to basically just dis stay eligible so I could basically transfer to a UC. When I was in, when I was in high school, I was told by my high school counselor, because uh, I had applied to UCLA and some other UC schools, I was told by that counselor I was not UC material. That always stuck with me. You're not UC material, really. <clears throat> of course, parenthetically, I have four degrees from UC, PhD and master's of three. Mas bachelor's, master's, and PhD. So she was very wrong, of course. <laughs> uh, but that was the kind of racism, that was the kind of subtle racism that you experienced, that a black kid. Only five kids in my high school class, black kids, out of a, maybe a class of about 600 people and black students about maybe 300, only five went to a four-year four school out of, uh, out of high school. Only about five. And about three of those were gone to, going to a black college. So it was very rare for a black kid to go to a four-year school in 1965, very rare. And so I ended up transferring to UC Davis in 1967, after two years of going to community college at, uh, at San Diego City College. And it was, it was basically a way for me to get out of San Diego, experience Northern California. I was very familiar with Northern California, the Bay Area, I had relatives who lived in Berkeley. My brother was going to Cal. The anti-war movement was going on at that time. Watts had happened in 1965. The Watts Rebellion happened in 65. There was just all kind of changes going on, and and um, and the Black Panther Party started in October 1966. So I was going up to basically what I consider to be the the center of the revolution, Northern California or the Bay Area. But I, but I went to Davis, and Davis was at that point in time a college of 10,000 students. It, it was really out in the middle of nowhere. The one reason I went to Davis was because I wanted to play football. And I, I belatedly joined a football team at San Diego City College because I always loved football growing up. And I played football with all my friends in the park and everything. And I walked on to the UC Davis football team in 1967. I was one of only two black guys on the team at that time. And my life really started changing when I went to Davis. And that was a really different experience. And join us next time for when we talk about his involvement in the Black Panther Party and his time at UC Davis. This has been me, McKenna Roy. This has been Gavin Rock. And I'm Riley Pierce. I've been your podcast editor. And real quick before we leave for good, some other news headlines from the State Hornet for this week. 
the Sac State Vote Center will be open in Modoc Hall from Saturday, February 29th up to Election Day on March 3rd, a.k.a. Super Tuesday. These vote centers were first adopted by Sacramento County in 2018 as a provision of the Voters' Choice Act, and the idea of the vote center is that it is a place where students can come in and register to vote, drop off their mail-in ballots, and, of course, vote at the polls traditionally. And the Modoc Hall Vote Center is going to be open from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. on Tuesday. Voters in line at 8 p.m. will still be allowed to cast their ballots on Election Day, according to the Sacramento County website. Episode 2 of the State Hornet News broadcast went live on February 25th. If you missed the first upload, this is a new program in which the State Hornet is bringing bi-weekly broadcasts to Sacramento State. Our second broadcast includes students' thoughts on what voting means to them, hit and runs on campus, and Sac State baseball player Parker Brom's strikeout record. And that broadcast is available for viewing on StateHornet.com, as well as on our State Hornet YouTube channel. Our broadcast division is newly started this semester under the fledgling leadership of broadcast editor Caleb Brown, and it's one of our most anticipated projects. We're putting a lot of heart into it. And probably our top story for the week, Sac State Associate Computer Science Professor Weed Chang was intercepted on the way to his class by men in dark suits who were later identified as university administrators and escorted off the premises. The professor is currently on paid leave, and the story, which is updating, is available on statehornet.com. The other stories in this headline wrap-up, as well as round-the-clock news coverage, as well as a and sports, are all available on statehornet.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the State Hornet News Podcast.